Hello and welcome to Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and each week I'm talking to people from the beauty industry who I feel inspire positive change. Now, today I'm thrilled to be speaking to one of the world's greatest makeup artists, Val Garland. So Val has been in the industry for 30 years, known for everything from iconic celebrity photo shoots. I mean, she's head up teams at every major fashion week show you can think of, a whole host of memorable magazine covers. She joined the BBC show Glow Up as a judge last year and so as they're approaching their season finale she's going to tell us a little bit about what that project has been like but for now from each of our respective lockdown hideaways here she is it's Val Garland good morning good morning Rose thank you for asking me to be on on your podcast oh my gosh of course I mean when I think of you Val I remember this one particular fashion week that I was just doing like a backstage beauty trend report that day and I had been to these very simple fresh pretty makeups all day and then I rocked up to this Gareth Pugh show and you had every prosthetic you can think of and lotion and potion and I thought oh here we go this is what I came to see today. Well I think um for me, there are so many avenues to makeup, and that's why the show Glow Up works. Because, you know, you have the Insta makeup, you have the sort of like glamour, gorge sort of makeup that, you know, everybody wants to wear. But then you have the artistry and you have the prosthetics. And I like to delve into all worlds of makeup, and that's what keeps me excited by makeup. So, you know, when I get the chance to um, do a Gareth Pugh show or a Vivian Westwood show, um, you know, that's a chance where you can really hone your skill. This one Vivian Westwood show is actually coming to my head now that you mention her. And it was kind of um, a Warhol-esque look that you'd created for that one. How do you go about coming up with a vision that is going to suit that collection or bring those clothes to life? Well, I think you have to think about you have to think about your designer and who is their muse. What is their look that they always go for? It's like when I was doing Alexander McQueen shows, the the look there is often a small head and some kind of length through the front in the hair situation. And then for the makeup, it's always some kind of like ethereal, strange beauty. So when you keep that in mind, you work around that for the designer. Um, With Vivian Westwood, she is, you know, a riot of chaos, (laughs) which of course is quite like me. I remember a friend of mine met Vivian at a party and once, and he sort of said, um, oh, I think, you know, a friend of mine. And she's like, who's that? And he said, oh, Val Garland. And she said, Val Garland, she's madder than me. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. So, you know, Vivian will, will sort of say something, but it's usually, you know, I want everyone to be individual. I want to feel that they that there's diversity, that they've come from all walks of life everywhere on the planet and they've all come together in a great sort of like party or wedding or festival or club and so 
that's good because that means you can, you know, do a lot of individual looks. And then, you know, uh, I'll see what the hair's doing. For that particular show, I think I called it um, Cocteau Warhol um, because Vivian had said, like, I'm really inspired by um, the Queen, you know, and the Queen's sort of set and those kind of things. So the hair was very sort of proper, very proper indeed. And I thought, right, we've got to take that and turn it inside out. So for that, I did kind of great makeup that was exaggerated, a bit like those sort of like Warhol um, Polaroids that he did of Elizabeth Taylor and Deborah Harry, where they kind of look like themselves, but they've got a green face or they've got a lilac face, you know, with a red lip. So, yeah, I just like to have fun with makeup. And actually, I'm pleased that you mentioned hair as well, Val, and kind of the relationship between the two, because I know that you originally started in hair and then made the transition into makeup. I mean, what was that journey like for you and what was it that maybe pulled you away from one more so into the other? I've always worn lots of makeup. Um, I wore lots of makeup all the way through the, uh, this is how old I am, all the way through the 70s and the 80s, because the 80s was new romantics. So I was very much into painting pictures on my face. Um, I fell into the career of hairdressing and um, I loved it. But again, I was that sort of rebel. I didn't want to do shampoos and sets. I wanted to be like Antenna in London, where, you know, we're doing kind of like monofiber extensions and color and cutting and that sort of thing. So it was a very progressive salon. But then there's another trait to my personality, which is... um, I don't like routine. I like new challenges. And so when I was at the salon, I had lots of friends that would come into the salon that were like photographers and models. And then I found out about this sort of like other career where you could actually do hair for magazines, not in a salon. And if you did that job, then you could travel the world. And that's always been my big ambition, was to travel the world. Really? And in Australia, which was where I was based, you had to do hair and makeup together. So I kind of self-taught myself both and, you know, just went with it. When you say, like, you've always worn lots of makeup, did that have a Mm -hmm. presence in your house? Like, where did this fascination stem from? Well, I think I'm very much like my mother. My mother was, um, she was quite experimental. She was like a seamstress and, you know, she made lots of our clothes. She also used to cut our hair. She was all, she was always, you know, getting ready to go out. So we would sort of like nip, nip in, me and my sister would nip into her bedroom and, um, you know, pinch her Revlon Toasty Beige uh, foundation and just, you know, use her lipstick. Well, actually, you know, I started I started applying lipstick to the walls before I started applying <laughs> lipstick to my face. But uh, my mother was very, she was very progressive and she was a free thinker. So, you know, when I decided, um, both me and my sister, that, you know, we wanted to wear makeup, 
you know, at 12 and 13, um, my mother said, yes, you know, go for it. And I think the first two products that I bought was um, both from Rimmel. It was a Rimmel cover stick. And I think it only came in one color, which was um, sort of toffee tan. So it didn't matter (laughs) what the color of your skin was. You know, I used this sort of like thick product to cover up my sort of like spots um, yeah, and I loved blue mascara. It was the 70s. That was until I got to work. I started work at 15 in a salon, but my makeup of the day then was um, no eyebrows, a socket line, um, an eyeliner, and I'd wear top and bottom lashes every day to work. Oh my in the gosh, salon. this is incredible. My boss. She was called Elaine and that's what she did. And it seemed like a good idea, (laughs) you know. And when we say no eyebrows, are they completely removed, Val, or were they just very fair or what was the deal with the no eyebrows? Oh, darling, they were removed. They were imact. You just drew on a thin line. Oh, wow. I know, I know. And that's why I have no eyebrows today. But the other thing that was very (laughs) big in the 70s was... Because I, I grew up in Bristol, you know, so you'd get down to Western Supermare for the day or maybe Breen or Burnham-on-Sea, but there was no sun and we were all pale and we were desperate to be brown. So the way to be brown was you had to buy this product. It was a Guerlain Taint Doré and you had to put it on with cotton wool and it turned your whole skin the colour of tea. <laughs> And was this was this localised to the face? Were you going all over the body with this, ready to bear all at the beach? Wherever the skin was showing. Maybe it was a Bristolian thing, I don't know. But we were obsessed with being orange. <laughs> and then what was the landscape like in Australia versus what you were used to in the UK? Were they as experimental when you went over there and you were all of a sudden in their hair and makeup world? I arrived in Australia in 1980, 1979, and it was like going to another planet Um, because I'd come from Bristol and went straight to Australia. And I was suddenly um, found myself within this huge gay community It was like an explosion. It was like Studio 54. Wow. It was all about being experimental, you know, making your own clothes, clubbing, makeup, hair. Remember, sort of like in the 80s, you know, there was crazy colour and it was haircuts. And I I remember I had every colour hair under the sun and one of my favourite colours to have was yellow. I had yellow hair. When I worked in the salon, you know, I I wanted to be a different person every day. So it would be like, okay, today my hair is going to be yellow. Tomorrow I'm going to have a green rinse. Oh, on Saturday I'm only going to wear blue. I'm having blue lips, blue eyeshadow, blue nails, blue clothes, blue hair. You know, it was it was great. I loved it. So it really opened me up into the idea that um, you could be whoever you wanted to be. Um, it was all down to you. You know, it gave me confidence um, to just express myself. I remember I came back from Australia and I came back to England and I, I went to see my mother and, you know, 
half my head was shaved. <laughs> I was wearing uh, Sue Clouth's clothes from London, which were the same sort of um, designer clothes that Boy George was wearing. And um, my mother said to me, why do you make yourself look so ugly? And I said, oh, you know what? I'm not interested in looking gorgeous. You know, I just want to be noticed. I just want to matter. I want to be an individual. And I remember that was very important to me. I didn't want to be like anybody else. I just wanted to be me, regardless of whether you liked it or not. I think maybe there was a little bit of me that wanted to shock. Then when you came back to London, um, at this point, it's kind of the 90s and there are a whole host of these up and coming emerging talents in London at that time. What was that period of your life like? I mean, it was, I arrived in London um, in 1994. I think I was a bit cocky. You know, I went in to see an agent, Camilla Arthurs, by a friend of mine who was already there, who was an Australian, and, um, you know, just got on their books straight away, which would be unheard of now. And, you know, they sent me out testing straight away. And the first few people that I started testing with were um, the likes of Katie England and um, Eugene Suleiman, wow. who's a hairdresser. You know, coming from Australia, where I was very experimental, to land myself in England, start testing um, with Katie, and then we started doing music promos, music clips, because that was very big then. You know, it was all about MTV. In those sort of, like, clips, you're creating stories and, you know, these wild different characters. So it was a good introduction into London. And through Katie, I remember one day she said, look, I've just been talking to this guy. He approached me. I had coffee with him in Portobello Market. He wants me to do his his show, his first show after graduation. You know, would you like to do the makeup? And I said, yeah. She said, well, look, we're going to go and meet him this afternoon. You and me and Huge, because we all work together, Eugene Suleiman. And off we go to Hoxton Square and to a little door, knock on the door, door opens um, go into this room and sat in this corner is this guy and he's sewing a dress, he's sewing a frock. And Katie goes, Lee, bow, bow, Lee. And that was it. And so that was my introduction to uh, Alexander McQueen. And um, so then, you know, I just started doing his shows. And I think, you know, that was uh, definitely one of the high moments in my career that really sort of started me off and like through working with Lee I'd already I'd started working with Nick Knight um, and through Nick Knight I was introduced to John Galliano and started sort of doing Dior campaigns with John Galliano and and Nick and then you know it was also the birth of Dazed and Confused so, you know, really got in with all those young photographers that were just, just on the cusp. They hadn't sort of made it yet, you know, like a very young Matt and Marcus and, you know, a very, very young Solver Sunsbo. Um, so it was an exciting time all around because everything we felt that we were doing, we were doing for the first time you know, and um, so it wasn't like, oh, let's reference this from the 80s or whatever. It was like, what can we do that's new and different? And it's only when I look back in time now and I see that that was quite a historical moment 
in time. Definitely. And those projects that you're talking about now are the kinds of things that you see referenced all of the time. And it must have been so lovely to have that group that you all got to celebrate those first triumphs for the first time with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was like little families. We were growing and experimenting and pushing the envelope all together as a group. And I remember this one time I was with Nick and Nick had started his online magazine show studio. And this must be about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. He came to me and said, look Val, I want to film you for show studio and I want it to be you doing makeup, like a makeup demonstration. And I looked at him and said, why would anybody want to watch somebody applying makeup on a model? How boring is that? And that was so funny because, I mean, that is so much of what we do today. It's like you're either doing makeup on yourself or you're doing makeup on a model. It's, it's completely like social media has completely changed the way we view our careers. So now that there is this social media element to makeup and everyone has their opportunity to weigh in and be seen, how do you think that has impacted the way your day-to-day works compared to what it would have been 10, 15 years ago? Um, It's completely different. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we were a small, tight group of people You know, when myself and the hairdresser and the model were in the prep room, the hair and makeup room, you know, that was our time. I mean, I can remember, you know, being on jobs with various different music celebrities or or high profile models and we would shut the door and not allow anybody in because, you know, Yes, we were going to be doing hair and makeup, but we were also going to be having a gossip. (laughs) That was our time. But now it's completely different. You're so used to having a camera behind your back, up your nose, giving you a double chin backstage at the shows. I mean, backstage in particular, Val, must be crazy like I've I've been one of those people with the camera and it's just if you're there to get a story or a picture or whatever there are 15 of the people getting the same thing I mean that must be I've never thought of it in that way but you're so right that it kind of takes away your privacy in the moment to just feel out what you're trying to do exactly I mean sometimes I'm doing a model's makeup and she's filming herself having makeup done you know so basically you've just got to get on with it you've just got to get on with it ignore it it's going to be out there and you just have to live with it um the whole thing about how the industry has changed is that social media um the internet has opened up the world to um, an array of amazing talent that may not have had a voice before. Because remember then, it was a very close set. There was sort of like, you know, 20 people in the world doing everything. And I think what's been great about um, social media is that we have been allowed to see the fantastic new emerging talent 
that is coming through. It's changed the way we do our job and look at makeup. I mean, mostly everybody is an expert on makeup. Everybody's watched a YouTube video on how to do this, that and the other. So everybody is an expert. And now with the likes of Glow Up, you're meeting these new and emerging talents that have absorbed makeup in a different way and potentially have learned from looking at things like YouTube videos and um, different online resources. Do you find that it's quite unusual to mentor a group of people that have come into the makeup world in a different way that you did? Uh, It's just interesting um, how the goalposts have changed. I mean, five, ten years ago, an aspiring makeup artist, in order to get on in the world and be noticed, you would probably have to assist someone, assist a, you know, a lead makeup artist, come up through the ranks like that and hope that you get noticed on set by the photographer or by the lead's agent. And it was very important that you got an agent. Nobody was going to book you without an agent. So that was how it was then. And and now, you know, the aspiring talent that is coming through now, they're not really interested in going in that route because that route is long and hard and you spend a lot of time not earning any money. Whereas if you um, go down the route of the social media platform, you know, you can, you can be bankable, you know, you can um, talk about a product and get paid for it. You know, it's a faster way to get successful and be known for that 15 minutes of fame. And actually, that is one of the things that I love about the whole glow up setup that part of the prize is to assist well-established makeup artists because I think you're absolutely right Val there's so many different ways now to you know launch into your makeup career but really that the assisting process and being able to work with and pick up techniques from different artists is just so invaluable and and you have a, an assistant what do you think makes a really great assistant being An amazing makeup artist is more than being technically proficient. And I think you you would have seen this recently um, in an episode of Glow Up. To be an incredible makeup artist, you have got to be able to uh, read a brief, work within a team. Yeah and work within a time frame, have a thick skin, be able to take criticism, you know. And I think that um, when you're working on your own and you're doing makeup on yourself and you have lots of followers that are, you know, giving you this... Um, Abundance of praise, yeah. This praise, it makes you feel invincible. But that's you on your own, in your own bubble, But that's not the real world. That's not the real world of getting out there, mucking in. You've done an incredible makeup. It's happened to me. I was doing this job for Vogue a few years ago, and the stylist said to me, 
oh, I want something a little bit hippie, you know, draw a flower on her face. I think that would be amazing. And I was like, yeah, great, super, you know. And I really got into drawing this kind of like psychedelic flower on this model's face. And, you know, I trotted out to bring in, you know, Maria Testina and the stylist. And I'm like, you know, um, so what do you think? You know, thinking that they were going to go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Uh, Maria was kind of like, I don't like. <laughs> and the were kind of like, it's too much. It's too perfect. No, we just wanted something a bit childlike. So I just had to whip it off yeah. because it wasn't – and you've just got to get on with it. So to a certain degree, um, assisting a lead artist is always another step on the ladder of being a professional makeup artist. And I think, you know, when I'm looking for um, a new assistant, I'm always looking for the same things. First and foremost, enthusiasm. They've got to have enthusiasm. And for me, how fast do they move? Like I, I can sometimes talk quite quickly and I'm the sort of person that I've, I've got fingers in lots of pies, you know, I've got the washing on, you know, I've got the ironing board set up, <laughs> you know, I'm one of those people that multitask when I'm looking for um, a new assistant, I want a multitasker, a yes, I can person, yeah. a problem solver. Basically what I look for in someone who's going to assist me is you have to get inside my head and second guess what does Val need right now? What does she want? And so say, for example, when you're in the glow up context and you've got all of these people that, you know, this opportunity would mean so much to them. How do you go about knowing which one has that extra special something? Well, it's all of the things that we talked about before. That's why we set them various different tasks. How are they on their own creative brief? How do they work under direction from somebody else? Um, are they kind? Yeah. Are they kind to the person in the chair? Uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of what we do in our day-to-day um, -day makeup is reassure the person that's sitting in the chair, make them feel comfortable. I completely agree. Yeah. And actually, Val, if I think of like, for example, that cover you did recently with um, Judy Dench, oh, I, I think it's been a long time since I have seen so much of a social media reaction to a cover of a magazine. Um, everybody was sharing that cover. There was just something so beautiful about her. And I really think you could see in that photo that she was comfortable and relaxed and that is such a special part of being a makeup artist, I'd say. I'd say that's the most paramount part. You know, I, I remember when Dame Judi Dench walked in and, you know, she's a world famous actress. She has seen it all. And, um, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I believe that she wants it told the way it is 
and you know you don't pussyfoot around you just get on with it and you do a good job that was what was in my head and so uh we were there Nick Knight was shooting Sam McKnight was on hair anyway she came in and we were just all so excited to see her because Dame Judy Dench yeah. is in the room and um anyway so I, I sat her down I said well look what we're gonna do I said we're gonna have a bit of a pampering session um I'm going to give you a facial and I had all my little facial instruments in ice over on the side. I said, we're going to give you a facial to wake up your skin before we start. And she's like, are you really dear? And I'm like, oh yes. And she's like, oh, that's fabulous. I said, and um, Marion Newman here, she's going to do your nails. Really? I get a manicure as well. And Marion was like, well, you can have a pedicure as well if you want. <laughs> so I'm up there sort of like, oh, would you like a bit of a haircut? And she's like, oh, gosh, you know, I feel like I've gone to a spa. So, you know, and we were just so in awe of her and we all wanted to do the very best for her. And she was brilliant. She was brilliant. And, um, yeah, she loved the clothes. And I think she just had a very splendiferous day, you know, and I think that what, that's what showed. Definitely. It really did show. And it was just such a striking photo. Um, but while we're talking shoots, actually, there was another one I really wanted to ask you about. That Gaga Born This Way visual with the prosthetics. I mean, what was that shoot like? Well, that shoot was very interesting because to start off, I'm going to rewind. It's Milan Fashion Week. Well, I'm I'm already working with Gaga. Um I've done a few things with her, with Nick and Sam. And um, Sam and I are in Milan for the shows and we get this phone call. Will we do this job? It's an interview with Gaga in Milan. And uh, so off we go. Yes, yes, yes. And Nicole Formichetti, um, her stylist, uh, he's there with us. And he's saying to me, like, look, you know, I want to talk about, you know, this uh, new album that Gaga's doing. It's called Born This Way. You know, I want to do something completely different. You know, let's talk ideas now. And um, at that time, Gaga was wearing a sort of a strong, dark eyebrow, uh, four sets of lashes. She had a, a very sort of defined look. I said, well, first of all, I said, uh, we're going to bleach your eyebrows. So we'll get rid of the eyebrows. And then I think we should do quite a strong, punky, sort of Susie and the Banshees sort of liner. Um, no mascara. What? No lashes? I'm like, no, no lashes, just the strong liner. Um, I said, and, and that's kind of it. I said, but, you know, maybe we could play with the structure of your face. Why don't we do some prosthetics? I said, let's change the shape of your, of, of, your, of your cheekbones. So I got two sort of bits of paper and made them into sort of like paper aeroplanes, um, these sort of like, you know, parallelogram triangles and sort of stuck them on her cheeks and said, you know, I said, we'll give you pointed cheeks. Maybe we'll give you pointed shoulders. Oh, that's a good idea. So Nicola <laughs> took a picture on his phone. And um, anyway, the shoot was like about three months later. And so I come up to the shoot, go into the studio, and there is a prosthetic specialist there. And he comes up to me and introduces himself and says, um, I've 
made your prosthetics for you, Val, you know, from the template that you made in Milan. I'd made a rod for my own back because every time I worked with Gaga, you know, throughout that you know, the sort of season of Born This Way, you know, and we were going to the Grammys and we were doing photo shoots and live performances of her performing. She always had to have these damn prosthetics, which had to go on for <laughs> about an hour. And, uh, yeah, but it, it, it was great. And Gaga was incredible to work with. Um, such a little superstar, so professional, um yeah it it was a wonderful wonderful time well do you know what val i just think one of the things that really um comes through in the likes of glow up or hearing you speak or even my experiences of seeing you backstage at fashion week there is always such a flurry of people around you because you're just this person that i think invokes so much inspiration and gives people ideas and sends them off on their own tangents of creativity. One thing I ask everybody that comes on the podcast is who are some of your favourite people that perhaps inspire you or people that you think are doing great things in the beauty industry? I'm inspired by so many people. Um, You know, at the moment, I'm currently inspired by all the talent on glow up because there is just sheer talent there. I mean, some of the things that these guys are doing, um, I've not seen before, you know, there are so many great people that are inspirational within our industry. You know, I mean, I love what Sally Hughes does with, um, you know, giving back to the industry with that thing that she does with, you know, products. Do you know what, Val? She was the she was the very first kickoff episode of this podcast talking about that. I'm right there with you. Yeah, you know, I thought that was so courageous. You know, I recently did this thing, which I think you did as well, for the NHS, NHS morale. Yes, yes, with Caroline Barnes. Caroline Barnes kicked it off. Um, A fellow makeup artist, also um, a fellow judge on the first series of Glow Up. And, you know, we all gave of our time to spend you know, half an hour with um, workers from the NHS just to give them a little bit of makeup love in amongst all the chaos and, and, yeah. and sadness and hardship of their daily routine. And that, I found that to me, that was, that feels like the most inspiring thing that I've done this year. There's something brilliant about the power of makeup and beauty to connect two people. And I think at the time that Caroline organised that as this lighthearted escape for people that were working so hard, we all needed that connection. We all needed someone different to speak to and get to know. And it's amazing how much of a connection you can make with someone in just 30 minutes. It, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was so it was so lovely. I'm so grateful to have had your time today and I can't thank you enough. But are there any kind of last words of advice you'd give to a budding makeup artist that might be listening to this and wondering what their next step is? I would say always believe in yourself. 
keep being inspired. Inspiration is everywhere. And say yes to everything. You know, work on your social media platform, be your own editor, get on TikTok. You have a voice, but you just need everybody to hear it. But fundamentally, believe you can. You've got to believe that you can. If you believe that you can, you will. It's like the foreword in my book um, that's called Validated. I remember the um, publisher saying to me, you know, I need you to write a foreword, you know, like 200 words long plus. And I was like, oh, God, talking about yourself, that's going to be so boring. And I quickly did it on the back of a napkin. And I wrote, you know, I never, I never thought that I was good enough. You know, I never thought that I could make it. If I can, so can you. And I believe that. You've got to believe in yourself. Brilliant. Well, Val, I'm going to leave us on that high. So thank you so, so much for joining me. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing who you end up crowning your winner of Glow Up. Oh, it's very exciting. But thank you for having me, having me today, Rose. It's been wonderful talking to you. Absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to my producer Ella for putting that episode together for me. If you enjoyed the episode, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. So you can message me on Instagram at Rose Gallagher or if you wouldn't mind to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, that would mean the world to me too. Have a lovely day and I look forward to talking to you soon.